Hey everyone, and welcome back to yet another amazing, exceptional, sensational, earth-shattering, earth-shattering, starting off with a pun, I love it, <laughs> episode of Avatar, the podcast. I am Booster Greg, and of course, you all know the wonderful co-host, the brains of the operation, the incredibly talented, magnificent. I'm really about the adjectives today. You really are. I yeah. really am. Acorn Bandit. Hello. I am Acorn Bandit, the banditer of acorns. The banditiest. That's not a word. <laughs> the most bandity that you will ever bandit from all of the acorns. <laughs> what an intro. <laughs> This episode, we're going to be talking about book two, episode four, The Swamp, or as we like to call it, Skeptical Sokka in the Spooky Swamp. I'm impressed. That would have taken me like three tries. Thank you. I'm just going to keep on trying to make my, or as we like to call it, it's just tongue twisters just to see how many takes. Yeah. <laughs> Sokka sells seashore, seashroom. <laughs> sashumi. Sokka sells sashumi at the seashore. <laughs> Saka sells seashells by the seashore. There you go. All right. So without further ado, let's just dive right into the episode. So this episode, again, The Swamp, was written by Tim Hedrick and was directed by Giancarlo Volpi. And we start off in a busy settlement somewhere in the Earth Kingdom that is kind of serving as like a regional hub. This makes it the perfect location for merchants and those who wish to lie low while hiding in plain sight. And this is exactly what Zuko and Iroh are doing. The fugitive prince and his uncle are sitting on the streets and asking for spare coin from anyone who passes. Now, what's very interesting is if you are a more eagle-eyed viewer, you might see a cart that goes by very quickly with a very specific-looking mask along with a bunch of other kind of random-seeming masks displayed on it. Here's a hint. It's blue. And it might be a spirit. It's the blue spirit it's mask. It's the blue spirit mask. I love that detail. I've been holding on to that detail since we first saw the blue spirit so many episodes ago, and I'm so happy we're here and we can see it. I know. Also, if you are eagle-eared, you can hear the blue spirit's light motif. Ooh, audio signature yeah. it's the little like tinkling bells as the cart's passing by oh i didn't even hear that interesting yeah it's like tink, tink, tink. oh yeah 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 now you're talking about <laughs> iroh really puts on the charm for a woman who walks by and offers a coin by saying that the coin is obviously appreciated but not as much as her smile iroh is so smooth <laughs> This kind of made me think about the episode with June a little bit where I'm just a like, little bit. Yeah, it's, it's not as creepy in that regard, but it's still kind of creepy. Like June was just like uncalled for and was very unsettling for me. But this yeah. one is kind of like he's just trying to get some money so he can eat. So he's like doing what he can. Uh, Zuko is very offended by Ira's actions in this and embarrassed. Yeah, because he doesn't think they should have to beg. Right. Yeah. He's I mean, he's always just been given everything. Again, we talked about this last episode where he's he's still spoiled but he's not quite as spoiled or as entitled as his sister but he's still like why am i begging for money i'm uh, this is embarrassing like i shouldn't have to do this you should just be giving me money because i'm zuko and iroh is like this is not really how the world works like you have to earn your money and iroh doesn't really have any talents that are conventional for money making so they've resorted to panhandling essentially yep 
so yeah so zuko is like super embarrassed right especially when a, like a large you have a larger man who's like a swordsman kind of approaches and demands entertainment for a gold piece now before they've only it looks like they've only really gotten copper pieces so yeah. zuko tries to refuse and saying that they aren't performers but iroh jumps up and adds that they are not professional performers <laughs> and begins to sing now i'm gonna do my best singing we've been waiting for this <clears throat> It's a long, long way to bossing, say, but the girls in the city, they look, look so pretty. pretty. I like he puts the A at the end of yeah. it. I just, I've listened to it so much. <laughs> the man takes out his broadswords and slashes at the ground next to Iroh's feet, demanding that he picks up the pace. This is a gold piece we're talking about, after all. Iroh easily dodges the swords, and the man isn't really kind of trying to hit him anyways, but he does work in a little dance into the song. Nothing like a fat man dancing for dinner, the man exclaims as he tosses Iroh a coin and walks off. Now, really super quickly, while I'm catching him, the swordsman is voiced by Joe Alasky, who has voiced Stinky from the Casper movie. Oh. Plucky Duck from Tiny Toons. He's also done a wide array of Looney Tunes characters over the years. Like I saw Bugs in there a couple times and Daffy Duck and all of that. But like he wasn't the original. He's just been kind of doing it for a little bit. And you'll appreciate this. Grandpa Lou Pickles from <gasps> Rugrats. Grandpa. Grandpa Pickles. So that was really cool. Also, the girl who gave them the copper piece in the beginning I couldn't find out who her voice actress was, but I did notice that in the credits, Mae Whitman was also credited with additional voices. Oh. After I learned that, I went back and watched that part. I think it's her. It sounds very much like her. Neat. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, so there's been a kind of a crowd that has gathered around this whole commotion. And as soon as they disperse, Iroh kind of comments about how nice that man was. Zuko <laughs> glares. He's just like, oh, what a nice man. Zuko glares at the swordsman who just publicly humiliated his beloved uncle. And you kind of get this vibe of this is not over. Yeah. The song. Fun fact about the song is it mm -hmm. sounds similar to the song. It's a long way to Tipperay, I think yeah, is how I, that's pronounced. I listen, I listen to a little bit of that song. It does. It's like it's weird because Tipperay is the original, but Tipperay feels like a bad knockoff of the Bossing Say song, which does is probably it? actually oh, just the other funny. way around. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. yeah, it's like Tipperay, Tipperary, yeah, however like you say it. Yeah, it's it's super similar. It's just slightly off. And I can't help but think back to when we talked about the last time Iroh sung a song and how we learned that Mike and Brian loved to make Mako sing songs yeah. as Uncle Iroh. So I yeah. was thinking about that at that scene, thinking, oh, Mako's probably hating this and Mike and Brian are probably having so much fun. Well, they, he also really kind of like, really leans into this song because yeah you know usually when we see iris singing it can be a little more serious especially later on as we're going to learn but this one was very much just like leaning into the silliness and the the showiness of it because that's what the swordsman yeah. wants is he wants them to be like really animated so he even does that little like flare at the end the vocal flare which is really nice or yes. flourish, I should say. I think that's the official term. Vo From my time at Twitch Sings, I'm pretty sure it's called a vocal <laughs> flourish. You're welcome. So, catching up with Team Avatar, Aang seems to kind of be in a bit of a daze and is staring Appa into an ominous-looking swamp below. 
Sokka calls out to Aang a couple of times to see why he's leading them into some random swamp, and Aang comments that the swamp below is just kind of calling out to him. He notes that Boomy had literally just told him that in order to learn earthbending, he would have to wait and listen, and now he's actually hearing the earth. What do you want the Avatar to do? Ignore it? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much everyone, Sokka, Katara, Appa, and Momo are just like, yeah, that's a creepy swamp. We don't want to go there. Aang shrugs and decides to listen to the entire group and redirects Appa back to the skies and says goodbye to the swamp. Suddenly, a tornado comes out of nowhere and begins to chase the gang. You'd better throw an extra yip. We gotta move, Sokka yells. Appa starts to fly faster, trying to get away from the incoming supernatural disaster. There's like a little mini pun for you because it's not a natural disaster. It's supernatural. Yeah, you all get it. But he's not quite fast enough, and the group gets pulled into the tornado. Aang jumps into action and creates a signature air shield bubble thingy. That's what I call it. Probably just called an air shield, but I like to call it the air shield bubble thingy, which doesn't do much good as the tornado overpowers it and sends everyone hurtling towards the ground below. Katara and Sokka land directly into the murky waters as Aang manages to use his airbending to stabilize his landing. Aang immediately notices that Appa and Momo are nowhere to be seen as he leaps onto the highest tree he can find and quickly scans the area, calling for his now lost companions. So this swamp, it is so well done. There's the way that Giancarlo directed this episode is so creepy. It's like a Mm -hmm. mini horror movie and I appreciate it so much. Oh, yeah. The first time we see the swamp as Appa flies over, it's this dense mess of flora and vines and placid waters reflecting the sunlight. It's eerie. The music does so much to enhance the eeriness. Mm -hmm. And I noticed and read that when shown from above, the swamp is very similar to the toxic jungle from Hayao Miyazaki's Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind movie. I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, it's good. It's a little outdated in that you can tell it's older. It's not like House Moving Castle or Spirited Away. It's yeah. um, it's still a great story, though. I'm, I'm making my way currently. You know this, but I'm making my way yes. currently through all the Miyazaki movies. I just watched... Which one did I just watch? My Neighbor Totoro. Yes, that's one of my favorites. It was really, really good. I'm so excited about that one. But yeah, like I, I read that and we'll see the, the Swamp Monster has that Miyazaki kind of feel to it. I, yeah. I kind of appreciate that, that... Whenever we see a monster or like a monster adjacent thing, it looks very Miyazaki inspired. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, like it's very like they do. He does do a great job at it looks very creepy when you're in the swamp. But when you like jump up, like Ang jumps up in the trees and scans, it's just beautiful and green and lush. And he goes back down and it's creepy and eerie. And the color grading is just kind of like murky. And I yeah, it was very, very well done. The team did such a good job with the background design, and I specifically want to shout out Sung Hyun Oh in the art book. The pencil sketches of the swamp are incredibly beautiful, and the colorist, I I apologize, I forget his name, did an amazing job making it look like you just said eerie, creepy, dark. Yeah, so good. Mm. Sokka, you've got an elbow leech, Katara points out as her brother begins to freak out and demands, where? Where is the leech? Where is the elbow leech? Where do you think? She says with her arms crossed. (laughs) Sokka yells about how things are always attaching to him as Aang kind of Tarzan swings from the trees above and notes that he could not find the rest of the group. And even more strange, that giant tornado has just disappeared without a trace. X-Files music. 
Everyone looks deep into the void of the swamp as creepy music leads us to Appa and Momo, where Appa has gotten himself tangled mid-air in vines. Momo jumps into action and frees the air bison, but when Appa tries to fly away again, he finds himself tangled. Yes, again, in the vines of the swamp. It looks like this air bison. Oh, you're, you're, gonna, you're all going to like this one. This next line It's really bad. It looks like this air bison is going to have to be a ground bison for the time being. Wow. It's so bad, but I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't make it any better. So that's what you get. Appa and Momo are such bros. I love their yeah, relationship where really they're just do. like ever since that that final scene in the cave of two lovers when yeah. Momo comes over and starts like chittering at him about yeah. the adventures and he like lies down on the ground and is like listening intently. They're just I love how they're developing. And here Momo and Appa are like a unit. They work yeah. together. Yeah. Momo's trying to free him. Appa protects him later. It's it's so beautiful. I love it. Yeah, it's almost like this very interesting symbiotic relationship that's kind of happening where one yeah. is too big to get himself out of these like vines or these smaller obstacles and the other is too small to actually protect himself. So they're developing this really cool friendship because of that. And yeah. I super appreciate it. We better speed things up, Sokka tells the group as he hacks his way through some nearby vines. When Aang mentions that they should be nicer to the swamp, Sokka retorts that these are only plants. What do you want him to say? Please and thank you as he swings his machete back and forth. <laughs> Katara, of course, sides with her new boyfriend. And, and by that, I mean Aang. And <laughs> says, because that would be weird if it was Sokka. And says that this place feels alive. I'm sure there are a lot of things that are alive here. And if we don't want to wind up getting eaten by them, we need to find Appa as fast as we can. Sokka tells his sister as he continues to hack through the swamp. What Team Avatar doesn't know is they are being watched by someone or something. Ooh, Ooh. It's a ghost. It's a <laughs> good, good, good ghost. There's a lot of Scooby-Doo similarities I found in this. So I'll be pointing yeah. those out. Yeah. Nice. Back with Appa and Momo, the two friends are making their way on foot when two of them reach a dead end in the route. Or the route. R-O-O-T. Oh, R -O -U -T. wow. We're, we're at that caliber of puns right now. Yeah. You're welcome. Appa collapses to the ground in fatigue and frustration. Momo takes out the bison whistle and begins to blow it, which Appa does not appreciate one bit. Why would you do that, Momo? You're right next to him. Ow. I don't know what was going on in his brain, but like he blows it a second time and then Appa just whacks him with his tail and knocks him out. He's like, that's enough. I wonder if that was his version of, of Yip Yip. Like, come on, let's go. Maybe, but he knows that he can't fly away. Yeah, I don't know. It was weird. I, like my, my brain went to maybe if he thinks if they blow the whistle. So if, if Aang blows the whistle and gets Appa, if Appa blows the whistle, does he get Aang? Oh, like, is that, that would be the cute reverse? if that was his reasoning. <laughs> yeah, that, that was like my headcanon. I don't know if that was actually what was going on through Momo's head. Anyways, day turns to night as Team Avatar continues to make their way through the swamp. Katara yells for Appa and Momo, which Sokka finds useless since there's no way that they are going to be able to hear them. Sokka tells the group that they should set up camp for the night as bugs pick at Sokka. I can relate to this 100%, by the way, 
Oh, really? whenever I go, I don't go outside often. I don't go outside often. But when I do, I get bitten <laughs> alive by mosquitoes. <laughs> that's so funny because mosquitoes don't like me. Oh, they love me. That, that's why it's, I, I got that like, I don't know, maybe that sweet goodness, sugary blood. Maybe. I don't know. Must be. Yeah. So suddenly the swamp lets out a single burst of swamp gas, which momentarily startles Katara and then grosses everyone out because it just smells horrible. Ugh. A blood curdling scream comes out of nowhere and the gang. They do this huge like Scooby Doo group hug freak out thing where they just grab each other like, what was that? And then it turns out that it's just this like tiny white bird that it's coming from, which I think is called the screeching bird or the screaming bird or something like that. Yes. Yes. It is called the screeching bird. And I learned that its distinct vocalizations resemble the screeches made by common barn owls, which are alternatively Mm. known as screech owls due to their distinctive screams. Mm. Fun stuff. Yeah. Also, speaking of animals that scream, if you've never heard a mountain lion scream before, it is terrifying. So if you want to freak yourself out, go find that on YouTube somewhere. It's just as startling as this screeching bird. So there's an animal around my parts. It's called the fissure cat or fisher cat. Okay. It's not actually a cat. It's like a weasel. And its scream sounds, it's super startling. So I remember when I, we first got our first dog, Pippin, we were both outside at like three o'clock in the morning because she had to go out. And we're just in the backyard hanging out. And then she's kind of sniffing around doing her thing. And all of a sudden we just hear like a scream coming from out of nowhere. She looks at me. I look at her and I'm like, let's go in the house. And we went in the house <laughs> and everything was fine. But I looked it up later. I was like, what was that? And it was a fisher cat. If, so if you want to hear another blood curdling scream or like just a sound that will haunt your nightmares for a little bit, please look that up. It's crazy. So after all that screaming from the birds, Sokka comments that they should probably just build a fire and runs off. Like he does that like cartoony, leaves like a dust trail, runs off and immediately starts kind of hacking the wood around him. And kind of looks at him and says, I really don't think we should be chopping up the swamp at all. And Sokka is continuing his hacking without stopping and says, no, 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 it's fine. I asked the swamp. It said it was fine. Right, swamp? And he grabs a nearby root and he just goes, no problem, Sokka. So yeah, he's cheeky Sokka. He's really just not taking anything seriously right now in terms of swamp being an entity that has feelings. But also, why would he? Like, he's never had reason to believe that inanimate objects, like not inanimate, but like objects like like trees and plants and stuff like that, to have their mind of a mind of their own. So it's kind of justified. It's still he's still kind of being a jerk to Ang, but I can see his rationale. We fast forward through Sokka viciously cutting up the swamp so we can see the group of friends gathering around the campfire. Does anyone else get the feeling that we're being watched? Katara asks the group, but Sokka dismisses the concern as he swats at a bug with his machete. Again, with the bugs. Always the bugs. Yeah. Also, Sokka's the kind of person I would want with me in a scary situation because he's so grounded. He's like, it's fine, guys. Like, whatever. It's fine. We're cool. It's good. Well, it's also that like machoism, I think, coming into play that he gets from being like a warrior of the water tribe. I think it's that he doesn't get scared of things that aren't physically in front of him. Like he doesn't get scared by concepts or the supernatural because it's not real and tangible in front of him. Yeah. But like, it's still super interesting that he doesn't view the supernatural as being real, considering he went into the spirit world, even though he didn't remember it. Yeah. That is interesting. That's a good point. He did go to the spirit world. And I think it was he either forgot or it was a little fuzzy or he like let himself forget. He was like, I'm just going to block that out. That that doesn't have 
any bearing on my physical life. So let's just not think about it. I'm fairly certain that he did say that he he was just kind of like what happened as he came out of the bamboo grove. But like, also, you lost a lot of time there, man. Like, what did you think happened? But yeah, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. It, we, we can go on for a while talking about that. But it, I found that a little interesting. So he's swatting at this bug with his with his machete club sword thing. Right. And the bug turns into a big ball of light, nearly blinding the group and then flies into the woods revealing that Katara was right, that they are being watched by dozens of now glowing, vicious eyes, which ah. fade back into the darkness. Back with Appa and Momo, we see them trying to get a good night's rest, but the noises of the swamps are causing poor Momo some anxiety as he dashes up and down Appa's back. Appa opens his eyes very slowly and roars into the darkness, <laughs> and all of the swamp noises immediately stop. Momo can finally sleep now. Or can he, as his eyes just like dart back open after like a second. This reminded yeah. me of Zuko with the uh, the seal lions, I think is what we decided to call them. Yeah. Remember when they were like, he in the end of book one, he found that secret passage that went into the Northern Water Tribe. And then they're yeah. all just barking at him. And he was like, quiet. And they all oh, just like yes. stopped. It reminded me of that a little bit, that part. Yeah, Except the they never turtle seals. Back up. Yeah, the turtle seals. Thank you. Yeah. Jumping right back to where we left our heroes, three friends have fallen asleep on top of each other. Three vines make their way towards the group and wrap themselves around each member of the party. By the time they wake up, it's too late and Team Avatar have now been separated from each other by the swamp itself. This was really creepy and super well yeah. done like a horror movie because the vines come in and they creep and crawl and mm -hmm. wind their way around them and then yank them out into the darkness all at the same time. Yeah, it's like as soon as like, it tightens, everyone wakes up and then they're just dispersed. They're gone. Yeah. Sokka manages to cut himself free and fights the vines who are now moving more like tentacles at this point. He struggles to keep his balance during the commotion and falls down into the swampy waters below and then runs off. Katara and Aang manage to free themselves as well using water and airbending. What's interesting here for me is that Katara and Sokka are using more destructive actions to free themselves. When Aang uses airbending, he never actually breaks the vines. He yeah. uses it as like a way to separate himself and then just kind of like evades capture that way. Yeah, there is his pacifist roots. <laughs> yes. Ah! Showing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, after the fighting ends, Aang realizes that he is nowhere near Sokka or Katara and is alone in the swamp. Somewhere in the swamp, two disheveled men who are dressed in green loincloths made out of the flora, let's say, of the swamp and wearing leaves on their heads as hats find one of Appa's footprints. They've never seen anything like this before, but they reckon it's pretty big based off of that there track there. <laughs> With all of the evidence left behind, Toe, the shorter of the two men, states that only one thing can possibly be at the end of that there trail. Danner. You don't touch a hair on Hoppa. <laughs> no way. Speaking of Hoppa, he's floating lazily through the swampy waters while Momo chases a potential snack just ahead. Momo lands on what appears to be a stump or a tree root or something at first, but then after a moment, turns out to be a catfish alligator thing also called a cat alligator it's called a catigator specifically oh thank you catigator yeah but i like i still like my catfish alligator thing who immediately tries to eat the lemur momo instinctively runs over to appa who swallows the gator and spits it out i love it just like half of the gator is in appa's mouth and then appa just like 
spits it out and the gator kind of like stops for a minute and stares at him and just like kind of weighs the risk of getting a snack versus living and just kind of swims away. Yeah. So the cat gator, it's another hybrid animal and it's a combination of a catfish and an alligator. And it has those physical characteristics of both. So it has these like funny little whiskers like catfish have and then the body of an alligator, which is fun. Yeah. Also, the team modeled Do and Tho, the Swamp Benders, after fellow Nickelodeon show creators Doug Ten Napel and Carlos Ramos. Following this, funny enough, was a bitter caricature war between Carlos and some of the Avatar crew. Oh, because no. I think he took some offense to the less than flattering yeah. character design. And so some of the drawings Mike and Brian report were just as unflattering that he did mm. of them. <laughs> well, speaking of do and though, they're both voiced by the same guy. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Carlos uh, Alizraki. I'm sure I pronounced that wrong. He's Rocco from Rocco's Modern Life. Oh, that's cool. Also, Eduardo and Carlos from Hey Arnold. Okay. Winslow from Cat Dog, the like, little mouse that was like, <laughs> like yeah. That one. And my favorite, Mr. Crocker from Fairly Odd Parents. Oh, he's the fun. teacher who's yes. just like, Fairly Odd Parents. Yeah, that's him. That's great. great. Oh my gosh. Also, I wanted to talk about the way that they're speaking because this is where they have their first exchange and we can hear what they sound like as well as see what they look like. Yeah. In the English version of the series, the people of the Foggy Swamp tribe, uh, like Do and Tho, have a style of speech that resembles mannerisms heard in the Mississippi Delta, such as the Cajun twang of Louisiana's Atchafalaya Basin. I also want to give a special shout out to Yeathley here, who tweeted mm-hmm. us and said that they were particularly excited about us getting to this episode because they come from that part of the country and see a lot of similarities between the swamp people and their family. That's really funny. So, hey, Yeethily. Hi. Thanks for tweeting us. I am going to say I like to do my amateur voice acting, and I'm going to have so much fun with Duto and um, (laughs) Hugh as well. It's just I, I just really like that. There is some there's representation for everyone in Avatar, including if you're from the Mississippi Delta South. In exactly. America. Yes, yeah. I love that. So um, somewhere else in the swamp, Katara is calling for her friends. Off in the distance, she sees a woman standing with her back facing Katara. When the waterbender gets closer, she kind of recognizes this woman. Is that her mother? Tears running down her cheeks. Katara runs towards the woman yelling out for her mom. As soon as Katara puts her hand on the woman's shoulder, it's revealed that it's just a tree stump. Oh. Katara falls to her knees and weeps. And then Acorn wept. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you might. I had yeah. a feeling. I got emotional there. Mostly because the tearful joy and then yeah. the crushing depression or like the crushing sadness like got to me like oh my gosh that's emotional whiplash but it's also so strong because that's how much Katara misses her mom that even just seeing her she logically knows that she's dead she's gone it's not her it can't be her and yet for a moment she was swept away into that what if and then was crushed when it was not the case Uh, it's so heartbreaking speaking of heartbreaking somewhere else in the swamp Sokka is yelling for Aang and Katara while butchering the vines in his way and tripping (laughs) as he does so. 
he trash talks the vines and then falls on his face to get a mouthful of swamp water. Gross. Ugh. Ugh. When he picks himself up, he sees the ghost of Yue off, or the spirit, I should say, of Yue off in the distance. Being the rational thinker, Sokka tells himself that this isn't real. Maybe it was the swamp gas he inhaled, or maybe he hit his head last night. No, it's the trick of the light. Yeah, that's gotta be it. You didn't protect me, the spirit says. Sokka rubs his eyes and Yue is gone, and he sighs in relief. When he turns around, he is face to face with the spirit of Yue, which startles him as he falls back into the water. When Sokka looks around again, he notices the spirit has disappeared. Sokka pulls out his machete as a warrior would unsheath his weapon before a battle and then moves on. I love that detail that he like collected himself, took out his weapon and then kept on moving. He's like, something's not right here. And he's just like, I do what I can do what I'm trained to do. And by that, I mean, his like one day of training with with the uh, warriors of Kiyoshi and whatever his dad told him when he was seven years old, however, however old he was. Aang is looking for his friends as well in another part of the swamp when he notices a girl in a dress standing on a nearby hill accompanied by a winged boar or a winged pig of some kind. When Aang calls out to the girl, she giggles and runs away. Now, is it just me, Acorn? Or does she kind of look like someone we haven't met yet? Nope. She doesn't look like anyone we've met, Greg. No, you don't think so? I'm just crazy. This is a a new person. That we have, I mean, we haven't met her yet, but she looks familiar to me with the hair. I'm going to, I'm going to give a Westworld reference here and say, yeah, doesn't, doesn't look, look like anything, like anything to me. To me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Aang calls after the girl who seems to be disappearing and reappearing all around the swamp. Aang tries to catch up using the vines to swing around, but it's no use. Back with Appa and Momo, the two friends are continuing their journey floating down the river. They come to a halt when the two swamp men from earlier, along with several other new swamp people, block the path. Though, the man we saw earlier, licks his lips while Du, the other man from before, notices Momo. Du says, Look at that, though! It's a little hairy fellow riding that thing there! Sounds kind of like Scooter from Borderlands a little bit in my head. <laughs> though pops in and says, No, that's what they call a limu. Saw one at a traveling show once. Real smart, they say. Bet it tastes a lot like possum chicken. You think everything tastes like possum chicken. <laughs> I actually love them. I, I love them so much, too. <laughs> Full disclosure, this wasn't my favorite episode, but Do and Toe salvaged it completely for me. Yeah. Like, there are oh a lot gosh. of cool things going on, but these two guys, I'm just like, you are amazing. Yeah. Also, I'm going to talk about them and where they come from because the local population yeah the local population consists of a tribe of waterbenders including du and tho who migrated to the swamp from the south pole centuries prior to the outbreak of the hundred year war the tribe has developed a specialized bending style adapted for swamp use and we see it here in this episode because the style differs significantly from conventional water bending in that it primarily involves rigid bending motions and the manipulation of plant life so we see mm. in a moment when they start moving their boats through the water they're almost pinwheeling their arms in very stiff motions almost like um like an airboat right yeah yeah i think it's super interesting too that like this is, again, another instance of the black and white rules of bending kind of turning into gray a little bit where yeah. they're plant bending, which one would think would be kind of be a part of more associated with the earth than water. 
but it's not because what they're doing is they're manipulating the water that are in the vines that we'll see later. So that's super interesting. Yeah, so smart. So the swamp people ease in just a little closer, but Appa takes off after Dew tells the air bison that they just want to eat him. After getting <laughs> scolded, Dew flares his arms in an almost windmill-like fashion and starts to bend the water around the boat. Uh, the other boats match this movement, and holy crap, these guys are waterbenders. They're waterbenders. It's so interesting because like you were saying before, they're just different. Yeah. Like we've only seen, let's say like Arctic and Arctic adjacent communities, right. right? So far. And these guys are, forgive the vernacular, but like hillbillies, essentially. They're right. Like that's that's what like they're over exaggerated. They're all of that, but they are completely different from this like higher class and educate seemingly educated people. Right. And you see it in their bending because there's like a formal style that is on put on scrolls and passed right. down from master to pupil and in a very structured kind of culture or population center like the yeah. Northern Water Tribe. But yeah. here you can really almost infer that this bending style came about through necessity. Yep. And probably being passed down from generation to generation, like a game of telephone, right? Yeah, like, exactly. So things get miscommunicated or misunderstood or misinterpreted. So the movement changes, but the results are still the same because it's it, it's like if you're trying to teach yourself how to draw versus being taught how to draw. Right. It's like going to university versus being yeah. taught by like a parent, which that's right. exactly what I was picturing in this. I imagine this, this style of bending being passed down almost like a father taking his son or daughter out to learn how to fish. And yeah. you teach them by taking them out on the boat and showing them step-by-step step how right. to fish. I imagine the same thing happens where in the Foggy Swamp tribe, they'll take yeah. their children out on the boat and teach them with their benders how to like move the boat and how to yep. bend the plants and how to forage and, and hunt and, and survive. Yeah, my, my first thought when I saw these this tribe was that this was a result of the 100-year war. But no, you said earlier that it's even a thousand years even before that. So I think it's very like that. It's just I want to take a moment to point that out is my first gut reaction, and maybe for other people as well, was that this is the Fire Nation's fault, which is also <laughs> how everyone in that world actually thinks. is like, oh, something bad happened. Thanks, Fire Nation. Okay, moving on. Aang continues to follow the giggling girl through the swamp and asks for her name. When she disappears behind a plant curtain, Aang pulls it open and realizes that she has stopped running. Taking advantage of the break, he dashes towards her, only for the hallucination to fade and to reveal Katara. Aang accidentally crashes into her, which makes a loud noise that a nearby Sokka hears just a little too late as the two of them crash into the Water Tribe warrior. Hey, at least everyone's back together again. Yay. <laughs> what do you guys think you're doing? I've been looking all over for you, Sokka yells, but his sister dishes it right back at him and yells that she's been looking for him. Aang admits that he was chasing some girl. Hearing this, Katara immediately asks, what girl? Aang admits that he didn't get a good look at her, but he heard laughing, and then he saw her in a fancy dress. Well... There must be a tea party here, and we just didn't get our invitations, Sokka sarcastically adds in an overly exaggerated, sarcastic tone. Again, Sokka's being very sarcastic. I don't know if I can reiterate that. <laughs> Katara looks down and says, I thought I saw mom, which stops Sokka's sarcastic rant. 
Sokka tries to debunk their experiences by saying that they are all hungry, tired, and scared, so it's no wonder everyone saw something weird. When he lets it slip that he also saw something, Sokka admits that he thought he saw Yue. Sokka continues to say that he's been thinking about her all the time since the events of the Northern Water Tribe, and adds that Katara does think about their mom a lot. Which proves our theory. Yep. We called it. You called it. Yeah. That yeah, he's yeah. been thinking about her ever since, and that's been directly influencing his mood in all of the prior episodes. Yeah. And Chong and the gang helped him become more Sokka like because he's yeah. not being lazy. He's back to his normal self these past couple episodes. Yeah. But still, like, like hearing him say this, I felt like, hey, my idea wasn't so crazy for once. <laughs> Yay. Uh, but also I was crushed even more because it was just like, yeah, that really did affect you. It confirms his heartache. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. So Aang interrupts Sokka and says, what about me? I don't know the girl I saw. And then points out that all of their visions led them to this exact spot. The group realizes that they are quite literally in the middle of the swamp, the exact center where an enormous tree looms overhead. It's the heart of the swamp. It's been calling us here. I knew it. Aang kind of tells the group. Ah, let's talk about this tree. This is such a cool concept. So, yeah, at the center of the swamp stands this enormous ancient banyan grove tree whose roots spread out over miles, as we're about to find out. Mm -hmm. The rest of the swamp grew by extending from the foundation of this tree, over time developing into one large living superorganism. The Foggy Swamp Tribe bases its philosophy on this phenomenon because they believe that, like the tree, all people of this world, no matter how different, retain the same roots and are branches of the same tree, as again, we are about to find out. Yeah. The swamp possesses deep spiritual qualities, including those weird weather patterns, visions of the past, present, and future, and that's all commonplace because this swamp is considered to be a spirit wild which is something that we're going to continue to see in the series. Ooh. Well, Aang confirms that he knows that this is the heart of the swamp, and he knew that this is what has been calling them here. Sokka looks at him and goes, it's just a tree. It can't call anyone. For the last time, there's nothing after us. There's nothing magical happening here. And as soon as Sokka finishes his thought, a large swamp monster emerges from the water with its arms raised above its head. And then we're going to cue another Scooby-Doo commercial break scream while hugging. <laughs> you were saying, Sokka? <laughs> this is one of my worst puns ever, and I'm very excited to share it. The swamp monster is composed or compost. Oh, wow, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a pun. Almost entirely out of vines with a wooden face that it actually, to me, looks like the mask from Jim Carrey's The Mask. It has that oh, same yeah. kind of like look to it. It's just like literally just made out of wood. Uh, The large monster lashes out at the team and tosses Aang aside effortlessly while scooping up Sokka. Katara manages to pierce the monster with a water bending technique, but the swamp monster heals the damage in seconds. Katara evades the monster's incoming attacks, Sokka still in its clutches. She manages to push the monster back with a wave of water. However, it is not long before she is launched away. Aang stops to watch her, giving the monster time to attack. Sokka is in the process of being absorbed into the chest of the monster when the scene changes to Appa and Momo running from the Swamp Men. Momo throws objects at them to slow them down. So you have uh, the crown that 
Momo put on Katara's head. They kept it. They kept that. That was <laughs> from the uh, Blue book Spirit. One. Uh, was it Blue Spirit? Or was it the Storm? It was the Blue Spirit. You're right. It was Blue Spirit. There is one of Sokka's shirts that Momo throws. So when Toe sees this, he says, "Now what would a Limu need a shirt for?" <laughs> Appa ducks under a large root, which knocks Momo off of his back. And before the Limu can recover, he finds himself captured in a bag by Toe. I have to say, this whole segment, I love their music, their theme music yeah. for the Swamp Benders. It's like, it reminds me of a one-man band. Okay, yeah. The most obvious example is like the chimney sweep from Mary Poppins. There's that one scene when he's in the park and he's like playing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He's got the drums and he's got like the cymbals on his feet and he's got a harmonica yep. up by his mouth. Yeah, I know what you're exactly. exactly what it's you like mean. that kind of concept. I have that in my head of like the boing, 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 boing. That mm-hmm. being one part of the the one man band, and also just like the vocals, the hoo. <laughs> I love it. Uh, meanwhile, back with the monster attack, Sokka is struggling with all of his might not to be absorbed into the monster, while Ang jumps on top and spins a tornado around its head, seemingly blinding the thing. As Katara jumps into action and uses her frost breath to freeze the surrounding area around Sokka. And then uses the swamp water to blow a hole right through their attacker and freeing her brother. Well done. I know. The monster recovers quickly and continues its attack on the team. And with a single maneuver, sends the avatar flying off back into the swamp. Seeing this, Katara rotates her arm around almost like a circular motion and creates circular water blades, almost like buzz saws, and continuously throws them at the monster. It is with this action that we are able to see there's actually a person underneath all of those vines, and he appears to be dressed similarly to the swamp men chasing Appa and Momo. There's someone in there. He's bending the vines, Sokka yells. And with one last slice, Katara cuts through the top of the vine armor. Aang jumps back right in time when Katara finds herself surrounded by vines and rips apart the vines with airbending. Why did you call me here if you just wanted to kill us? Ang yells. Wait, I didn't call you here. The man answers and drops his guard completely. The man is shown to be only wearing a loincloth made out of leaves and has a gentle tone in his voice. Ang tells the man that they were flying over the swamp and he heard something calling out to him, telling him to land. Sokka adds that Ang is the avatar, so this is pretty much business as usual. <laughs> When the man hears that Aang is the Avatar, he instructs the group to follow him to the giant tree that rests in the middle of the swamp. This makes me laugh. He's like, oh, the Avatar? Just kidding. Come with me. I'll help you. Follow me. Follow me. Like what? By the way, really quickly, this man, his name is who? We're going to learn that in like three seconds. Is voiced by William H. Bassett, who is uh, Mr. Mills from The Karate Kid. So he is, oh, uh, what's her name? Elizabeth Shue's father. Um, he's also he's in the movie House of a Thousand Corpses, where he played Sheriff Frank Houston. And he's also done voices for Diablo 3, Fallout 3, and Warcraft 3. A lot of oh, threes. Wow. Yeah. Uh, he also was in Dallas, which I found very interesting. But I've never seen Dallas. So yeah, like me neither. old TV show. Too old for even me. That's what I say. Anyways, back here. So it's here in this, at this part that we learn that this man tells the team that he is the protector of the swamp. And he protects her from people who want to hurt it. So when he saw Sokka hacking his way through the vines, he assumed that they were enemies of the swamp and needed to be stopped. 
Sokka misses the point almost entirely and finds comfort in the fact that there's a completely reasonable explanation for a swamp monster. And it's, you know, it's a guy <laughs> protecting his home and nothing mystic- mystical going on here. Who corrects Sokka immediately and tells him it's quite the opposite. The swamp is a mystical and sacred place. And who has reached enlightenment here? The swamp mystic then tells the group that the entire swamp is actually, as you said, just one big organism that spreads out over miles and miles and miles. Uh, It is quite literally one big living organism and the world is the same way. Yeah. Beautiful concept, really. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I looked up or I found is that Pew gaining enlightenment is very similar to Buddha's enlightenment. So he was just doing a lot of meditation. Yeah. Because Siddhartha Gautama sat under a Bodhi tree and achieved enlightenment, right? Mm. You're you're more the expert on that than me. Oh, yeah. That's what I found, at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's part of the, okay. the story. Yeah, I saw that point and I was like, I don't need to investigate this anymore. This is Acorn's <laughs> territory. This is where I've stepped into Acorn's world. And I was like, eh. <laughs> right. Yeah, his belief that all things are, are one is also similar to the Buddhist doctrine of non-duality. And his corresponding guardianship of the natural word is consistent with Taoist teachings as well. Interesting. Oh, and one final thing. I love how they kind of have a mismatch of different elements here in Origins. But the philosophy that everything is connected and the entire planet is one single organism is kind of like a real world, is similar to the real world Gaia hypothesis. Yeah, I knew that from Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) All right. So Aang can understand how the swamp is connected, but finds it a little hard to believe that the entire planet is the same way. Hugh explains that if you listen hard enough, you can hear every living, breathing thing together. You can feel everything growing. We all have the same roots and we are all branches of the same tree, is what he says. I love it. I lo- it's, so, it's so beautiful. When Katara asks what their visions meant, Hugh explains that in the swamp, people see visions of those that are lost, people who were loved, and folks that are thought to be gone. What the swamp does with this is let the living know that they are still connected. After all, time is an illusion, and so is death. It's all time is wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ang tells Hugh that he has never met his vision, and Hugh's only response is, "Well, you're the avatar. You tell me." Ang is able to deduce that this is someone he will meet because time is an illusion, after all. And Hugh nods. Sokka reminds his friends that Momo and Appa are still out there and they need to be found. Aang immediately knows what to do. He rests his hands on a nearby root and suddenly a burst of avatar state energy travels through the roots, almost like an electrical signal, which quickly finds Appa as he's being caught in a net. No, no, they need to hurry back in the swamp. Tho is singing a song out loud, happy with what might be for dinner. Appa's captors are ambushed by Team Avatar, who frees Momo. Do bends water at Katara and Aang, who almost get into like a, a water-bending stalemate. It just keeps on like going back and forth, like kind of like tug-of-war, but reverse if they're all pushing it. And that's when Katara realizes that Do is a waterbender. Do excitedly exclaims that they <laughs> must be kin. I love this moment. Katara makes this like kind of like a like stuck-up kind of face at the thought, because like you have these men dressed in leaves, leaves, <laughs> like banana leaves. Yeah. yeah. I love that moment specifically because they they have the realization as they're actively water bending. So their arms are moving and they're like, wait, you're a water bender. Wait, you are too. 
Hey there, we must be kin then. Yeah. yeah. Great. Great. Sokka and Hugh rush next to Katara and Aang. Do recognizes the man immediately and asks how he's been. You know, scared some folks, swung some vines, the usual. The scene changes to the foggy swamp tribe as everyone is sitting around the fire eating some possum chicken. When asked if Sokka likes the meat, he replies that it tastes like Arctic hen, which is really funny considering what I think it was Dew said earlier. Tastes like possum chicken? It's like possum chicken. Possum chicken and Arctic hen yeah. taste exactly the same. Love so basically it. chicken tastes like everything in this world. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we learn here that the Catagator... So I'm going to say this here. I do not know if this is canon, but we've only seen one Catagator before, and I'm assuming this is the same one. Oh, you think it was Slim that they encountered so. earlier? Yes. So I think that they have a pet Catagator, and I think Slim was just being Slim out in the world. I like that. I'll accept that headcanon. Because like, think of it this way, too. So Slim, who is the Catgator pet of the Foggy Swamp tribe, sees Appa and Momo, and then moments later... They just so happen to stumble across the footprints of Momo and Appa. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It I, I think probably it probably happened all around the same area and that's where they they were and it was Slim. Yeah. 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 So in my head canon, that is Slim. Slim is the cat gator that we saw earlier. So we actually get to meet him kind of up close and he's just part of the family. It's great. He's just sitting there around the fire with them. When Sokka tries to feed the gator his food, it bounces off Slim's nose. And I think it's Dew says something like, Slim don't eat no bugs. Slim don't eat no bugs. That there's people food. <laughs> so it's just a quick another side note. Is it bad that Slim is better trained than my dog Rusty right now with food? I mean, it says something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Acorn. Thank you. So anyways, Slim is named after one of the creator's two dogs, which I, I thought love was pretty it. Cute. Yeah. After some small talk, we learned that the Foggy Swamp tribe members didn't know that there were other waterbenders in the world. Yeah, they're super isolated if that's the case. I mean, well, at the same yeah. time, it makes sense because on like the planet, there's the Northern tribe at the North Pole, the Southern tribe at the South Pole, and then the Foggy Swamp tribe, which is right in the middle in the Earth Kingdom like continent. So yeah. it would take a lot for them to travel to each other. Yeah. What's really cool, too, is like when you you said earlier, they a thousand years ago, they kind of just left, right? Yeah, a few centuries. A few centuries ago, these these people just like left, like whatever, I'm out of here. Um, they actually landed in this swamp area because it had the most water. So they felt the most comfortable here. Yeah, they're basically the people who relocate to Florida, in my mind. Yeah, which is actually very <laughs> funny because... <laughs> I've been viewing them as Floridians quite a bit, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Having grown up in Florida, I don't take offense. <laughs> There's a lot of weird people in Florida. Yeah. So the other thing that's really funny about this little exchange is I think it's so asked like, oh, where are you from? Like, what, like, what is it like? And they go, oh, it's like frozen and surrounded by ice. And he's like, no wonder you left. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That made me laugh. <laughs> as if the swamp is any more hospitable, really. Like... Yeah, it's either Arctic tundra or yeah. like remote, murky, dangerous, murky gross. swamp. <laughs> yeah. After all of this, Sokka still tries to rationalize the entire experience at the swamp and that nothing strange actually happened, explaining away the hallucinations as a result of food deprivation and Aang being shown Appa and Momo's location as avatar stuff, quote unquote. And avatar stuff doesn't count. That also made me laugh. There are a lot of yeah. one-liners in this episode that just made me laugh out loud. Yeah, it was 
ultimately like the structure of the show was kind of weird because there's a lot of jumping back and forth because they separated everyone yeah. into there's really three storylines going on in this possibly right. four so it was, it was a lot of jumping which is kind of a little little weird for me especially writing it up because i was like this and that and i can't just keep saying the same thing over and over and over again but that's what happens also there's one thing that Sokka couldn't figure out and it's that how hugh made that giant tornado Hugh tells the group that he can't do anything like that. All he really does is just bend the water and the plants. And then so Sokka is just like, well, no account for weather and just like brushes it off. Like the one thing that actually like proves that there's something supernatural. Sokka's like, well, it can't be supernatural except for that one thing, which is the weather. So, you know, whatever. Uh, Sokka's such a diehard skeptic. I know. I know. So the, the camera, Sokka says this, right? He's like, yeah, there's nothing weird going on here. And the camera zooms out and we see that same terrible screaming bird yep. who lets out another blood curdling scream, which actually it doesn't sound as bad this time around Yeah, to me, which I think is a purposefully done and B is supposed to signify that we're getting used to it. This place is no longer as scary as it once seemed. Yeah. But a tree root just slaps it away. So <laughs> there is something supernatural going on here. Back in the river village, the swordsman who humiliated Iroh in the beginning of the episode is being stalked at night in a dark alley. Who's there? The man asks and unsheathes his two broadswords, only to be taken out easily. His assailant slowly walks up to the swords and picks them up to reveal the blue spirit. Heck yeah, the blue spirit's yeah! back! I love it so much. So I love that if you were watching this show, half paying attention... You would be like, how did he get that mask? And it's because uh -huh. it's on the cart. It's so good. It's so good. And I'm sure oh, he got the the mask from the cart, probably stole mm -hmm. it, if we're being honest, because mm -hmm. he doesn't have much money. And then yeah, he, he probably, in my head, he probably swiped someone's dark clothes off their clothesline or something. And then he got the broadswords from this guy and yep. he has his outfit back. Yeah, it's so good. I love it so much. Um, and that's the episode. And that's that the episode. Was that was so fun. It was a lot of fun. I really do enjoy the uh, the swamp people, like the what, they're the foggy swamp villagers. Tribe. They're so yep. there's tribe. They're so funny. I love them so much. Um, so Acorn, yes, Greg. I gotta know who is your MVP for the episode. Oh man, I want to say Hugh. Yeah, yeah, I want to say Hugh because he. As an MVP, he gives us an element of the story in the world building that's going to push the story forward. And mm. while he did attack them at first, he then was a very good host. He helped them. He gave them information. And he was able to fill in some lore about the swamp that is going to come back into play later in the story. Mm. I don't want to pick the same person because we both picked the same person last time. But like I... <laughs> I, I agree that Hugh is, is actually the MVP of the episode. So if anyone's keeping track out there of the MVPs, you could probably just put that notch right there. <laughs> Rob. Rob. <clears throat> but I also want to make sure I uh, give a, a special nod to Iroh on this one. Yeah. Uh, because he's really pushing aside his ego and he's being very humble and trying to teach Zuko adaptability and teaching him to be like still a person, even under these crazy conditions that they're in. Yeah. And Zuko kind of appears to not be taking that lesson in, but also like he's starting to develop his own moral code throughout all of this. Mm -hmm. So he had his father's at one point, I would assume. Then he kind of uh, adopted his uncles and now he's kind of like mishmashing them together and trying to figure out who he is as a person. 
So we yeah. have that kind of going on. And, we, and he's only in this for two scenes. Yeah. And it's the first episode where we've had bookends. We start the episode with Uncle and Zuko. And yep. then in the middle, have our Team Avatar storyline. And then at the end, we finish out with Zuko. So yeah. it's it's the first time we see a bookended story in an episode for Avatar. Yeah. And considering we didn't see Zuko or Iroh in the last episode at all. Yep. So it was it yep, was a very true. like it was a nice little like morsel of like delicious goodness that they kind of threw in here for us, which I super appreciate. Yeah. And I just I just love and respect Uncle Iroh because he literally makes the most out of whatever fate dishes him. He just yeah. literally go with the flow. Yeah. All right. What is your moral of the episode? We are all connected. Yeah. I mean, there's no other moral to pull out of this. <laughs> yeah. I, so I bolded this in my in the show notes. So I think more literally, we all have the same roots and we are all branches of the same tree. I think is the moral of the episode for me. Hey, I made a rhyme. I do <laughs> that some of the time. Oh, my God. Yeah. That is phrased better. So, yes, that is my yeah. my moral of the story, too. And I think it's a really important thing to remember. And I've said this before, just how it's so easy to become divided. It's so easy to see someone as your enemy or other from you. But it's so much more rewarding and better in the long term for ourselves and our world to see our differences as an opportunity to get to know each other better. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And with all of that being said, that is all of the time that we have for this episode of Avatar, the podcast. I want to just take a moment again for everyone who's taken the time to not only give us a five-star written review, a five-star unwritten review, tweeting at us at Podcast Avatar, emailing us directly, avatarthepodcast at gmail.com. Or even some people have been, they found me on Instagram. My Instagram account is super inactive. I haven't posted there in forever. <laughs> And a couple people have been like, hey, are you Booster Greg from Avatar the Podcast? And I'm like, I love it. Oh, and I don't think I don't know if I told you this. I don't remember. But I was in a random chat on Twitch and someone just like, are you from Avatar the Podcast? And I was like, <gasps> no. Yeah. And then I ran away scared. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, hey, thanks for the listen. Appreciate you. And then I got scared and ran away back in my hole. So that's that, amazing. That's, that's what happens when I branch out of our inner circle of Twitch, <laughs> I guess. Anyways, yeah. So speaking of Twitch, remember, if you want to join me after you've caught up on all the episodes, you can do so over at twitch.tv slash Greg on Monday and Friday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Or if we're doing one of the Geek Generation stream team events, you can always find us there as well. Twitch.tv slash the Geek Generation. Yeah. And you can find me over on Twitter at Acorn Bandit online instagram particularly which is joyson studio but also online at joysons.com where i make enamel pins and you can yeah. spell joysons j-o-i-s-a-n-s mm-hmm. coming up next time down with the avatar it's avatar day and return to kiyoshi island all this and more next time on avatar, avatar the, the podcast, podcast. Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com.